0: Welcome to Examining, a technology focused podcast that dives deep. So, welcome to another episode of the Examining podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Christensen. We have a cool show today. We're going to talk about the Apple event and some AI ethics stuff. How's it going today, Chris? It's going well. How's everything with you? Uh, it is terrific. It was uh, very snowy, as you know, in Calgary. Uh, it started to melt a little bit. Uh, we did a bit of a road trip today to Banff National Park. Um, my wife is a little bit uh, too pregnant to be able to do a hike. So like a walk in Banff is uh, is is doable. But it was nice. It was a nice drive. It was quiet on the highway. Um, so, a kind of a good start to the morning, and kind of a, a refreshing outdoor mountain walk before we record today's episode. So, I don't know. I always like going for a walk before we record.
1: Yeah, no, it's nice for sure. Do you? Did
0: do you go do you out and walk? Did you walk your dogs?
1: I walk my dogs. Uh, our new routine is they we, we get a little bit antsy if we don't walk them more than one time. So, I did one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So got my two little walks in. Normally, in the past, I used to take them for like an hour. Now it's like two half an hour walks instead. Okay, it seems to work better. But no, so yeah, it's going to be a nice little episode here. So I guess we'll we'll start off by reflecting on the recent Apple event. Yeah, absolutely. So Apple's at an interesting
0: spot. Um, we're, We're going to talk about what they announced. But I you know, it'd be interesting just to discuss this more broadly. Again, our goal here is to go deep on a few things. Um, so that it, on the Apple event what they called scary fast, uh, their event was on a Monday uh, evening, and it was exactly 30 minutes, like I think down to the second. And it was basically the release of their new uh, Mac, Apple silicone chips. So this is the, uh, the unveiling of the M3. So the third or now we're into the third generation of Apple Silicon for Mac, which is pretty impressive. And um, they went ahead and released the M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max all at the same time. So that's the first time since they moved to Apple Silicon um, that they have done that. They've they've historically, like when they did, I think when they did the first one, M1, I mean, they kind of recycled their old computers and just put in designs and put a new chip in it, right? It was the M1. MacBook Air and the M1 13-inch MacBook Pro. And then they kind of had these, it was weird because they had these like base level Apple Silicon chips, and then they had these pro Intel computers that were slower and more expensive. So I think the criticism that I've heard on other podcasts from professionals is that it's frustrating when Apple releases new versions of their chips at the base level that are faster or as fast as the old pro level that they're still selling. It's kind of frustrates their customers. I've heard the argument is that they should go from the highest end and work their way down. Mm. Um, But anyways, they didn't do that. They've tried to sync it up. So they've released the M3 n three pro and M3 Max and they updated the iMac desktop and the macbook pros did they update anything
1: else it was just those right yeah it was just uh yeah and again it was like unusual timing like the that evening timing they had this halloween theme i mean when it's like scary fast i thought it was going to be something like who knows mind-blowing that uh, next thing you know that uh, they've just blown everything out of the water but um yeah, I mean, even it's. Uh, I I think it's. We've talked about this before, but even in terms of its designs, and like like they're going more towards these kind of boxy, um, you know, square type of uh, designs. Like I, I look at like that um, the MacBook Air. I when it first came out, I mean, what was really impressive was uh, the fact that it was so thin and it had that nice little wedge design. And now they've just abandoned that altogether. So- yeah, I actually
0: prefer the wedge design uh, from the M1 MacBook Air, which I think they still sell. Um, the M1 MacBook Air, even when the M2 had been released, I bought the M1. My wife, you know, she uses an iPad most of the time, but I was like, no, you really need a your own computer. You can't use your work one. And so I got her an M1 MacBook Air in gold. And I, I have to say, I think it's a nicer chassis. Than the newer one. I mean, I know I wish it had the magnetic charger and all that stuff, but it doesn't have a notch on the screen. I think that's a win. Um, it has that wedge design. It's a little bit easier to pick up, as a result. One of the things I'll say it. I mean, we'll talk about the details of the new chips and the new designs. I mean, there's no new hardware design from the the new computers. This is new internals. But I find that these newer Macs, as you say, the boxiness. It is nice looking and it does remind me of the old Macs that I used to have. But you remember when mm-hmm. Apple went to the retina display computers for the first time? So that was like 2012, 2013. So about yeah. 10 years ago, yeah. I still have a 2013 Intel MacBook Pro, which actually works surprisingly great. I blew it away and wiped it. I actually I didn't just reinstall it. I deleted it and reinstalled it from USB. So it's like there's no craft. There's no old files or anything. It works amazingly fast still because it's an SSD in it. It's not a spinning drive. Yeah. But I noticed when they one of the things I liked about that design from the older disk drive Max was that it was square, but there was a little bit of a taper. So when you went to pick it up, you could just get the tips of your fingers like under the bottom of the chassis, and you could like just grab it with one hand. I find these new computers they're very very low profile. They're very close to a desk, so you kind of have to like tip them up to like they don't yeah. you can't just pick them up as easy there's something about you could grab the other ones they were a little bit more ergonomic to handle i'm not saying it's a deal breaker it's it's such a small thing but i did i did notice that when i got the 14-inch macbook pro you and i both got the m1 pros and uh i just it's a beautiful computer it is better in every respect the touch bar has gone now forever thank god but even my old macbook pro 16 inch with a touch bar it was just easier to pick up off the table and i i just mm-hmm. think there's little things like that and apple's you know done this before it's not a because steve jobs isn't around i'm not claiming that they always have to leave something behind but i really liked the old chassis design it was yeah. just easier to yeah. handle
1: yeah and funny enough like i mean that's uh, we've talked about it in past episodes but i i got that first generation retina one so in 2012 uh, and I didn't change until last year, so I kept that twenty twelve yeah. and now I've actually uh like similar to you. I've took everything off of it. I've given it to my daughter. she's like totally uh trashed the thing. there's stickers all over it. there's like I don't know pink colors on there and stuff, but it, it still works. I mean, she's able to do her homework and stuff like that. I mean, my other option was to basically sell it um uh, but I mean I. One thing that I did was I uh, replaced the battery, uh, you know, a few years ago, and it cost me. And it was funny the way that the Apple designed it. Not only did I have to go and buy the battery, but they replaced the full keyboard as well because I was oh, attached yeah. to it. And so, I, yeah. And then at that time, I, I basically had like a full-on. Uh, I, I changed everything, and it cost me like four hundred bucks. But the the whole chassis was brand new, the keyboard was new, the battery was new. It's still going strong. Yeah, uh, And I, I, the big deal breaker for me was the HDMI and um, just this past week, I, I think it was this past week. No, it was the previous week. Time goes by so quickly these days, but I, I had some uh, former students come in and uh, we have at uh, Mount Royal university, we have this uh, alumni uh, classroom takeover and one of my former students, he noticed like he has that M1 um, um, Mac air and he's like, Hey, you have an HDMI. When did they come out with that? uh, You know, so he was kind of like, even though mine is that uh, M1 Pro 14 inch, I mean, he noticed that right away. And um, I mean, that was the big deal breaker, I think, for both of us is the, you know, now instead of having dongles and stuff, just having that dedicated port. Yeah, there's a
0: few ports out there. Uh, that are unlikely to change anytime soon in terms of their design. I'm not a port engineer. Obviously, uh, I do know people who do that, who have some, who have contributed to port standards. HDMI is designed that way for a very specific reason. It's a very resilient port. The cables, because they're optical, they can they either work or they don't, right? But so if they break, they break. And, you know, the cheapest HDMI works just as well as the most expensive. But the port itself is very resilient. So I think, and I think it's, you know, that and the SD card are really the the two um, universal ports that Apple has to pay attention to. I mean, obviously USB-C, I have no problem with them not having USB-A at this point. I have a USB-C and a thumb drive that has USB-A and C on it. So I'm covered. USB-C is a better port because it's reversible. And so I get that and that has the magnetic charger which is terrific even though it's proprietary it's totally worth it but the you know the hdmi and the sd card slot i don't know anybody i mean if you go to any boardroom unless the boardroom is ancient and they have like a vga analog connector that's standard definition it's always an hdmi and they oh and you know and creators who you know move video What are they doing? They're either putting it onto a hard drive, which they need Thunderbolt for. So I have a one terabyte. I don't know if I told you this, I got a one terabyte SSD external and a Samsung, not the fastest one. I think it's the T5, which is like more than fast enough for me. I didn't get that super crazy fast. And so if you're a creator, you're either moving things onto that or an SD card to move it onto another computer. I mean, you know, when Apple got rid of the SD card years ago, They were like, well, people aren't gonna use physical media anymore. I mean, they kind of went too far. It's like one thing to get rid of the optical drive, like the CD drive. But, you know, they were like, oh, creators are not going to do this in the future. They're going to be using, like, local Wi-Fi networks to move all their files. And there's all these ridiculous claims made. And I'm thinking, have you ever worked with someone who does video and moves it around? I mean, they they have SD cards and SSDs everywhere. (laughs) Like, that's all they use. So to take away that and HDMI for, you know, every boardroom presentation was just a stupid move. Uh, my last rant with this, and I know that other people haven't had this problem, and maybe it was the, the model that I had. But when I had the Intel 16-inch, uh, I had to have that dongle to go from DisplayPort using the USB-C to HDMI. And it would take forever to con- to connect to external displays. Like, it almost went through this weird cycling back and forth. Sometimes I had to redo it. and then And then I actually tried that dongle on my new computer. It was the same problem. And then I thought, oh, right, I don't have to use this anymore. I have the HDMI. I plugged it right into the HDMI and it connected instantly. So there was something about either the dongle I was using or the port on that particular model that it would just, it took forever to connect to an external display and it would never remember the settings or the presets. And it was super frustrating anyways.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, the HDMI is a
0: good, sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, if you have a dedicated port like that, I mean, this because right now what they're doing is they have these uh, Thunderbolt that are also USB-C. And so it's just like, you know, it's doing a lot as opposed to having a dedicated port just for display. And I, I think, you know, like you say, you go into any room like now, I mean, uh, here I am, I'm going and lecturing um, at uh, in different classrooms and stuff. I don't have to worry about it. I just plug in my computer. I, I don't even use the desktops that are in there. Why would because you? Because all so your stuff slow. is set up, right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: because if you have to log in with your common ID, it takes too long. It's easier just to use it. In fact, now I'm at the point where if I am teaching in the classroom, I may use the desktop to show the, the library website, but I plug in my iPad to do all my annotations and stuff because it connects to the display and I can use the pencil and it's just, it works, mm-hmm. right? That does require a dongle, but it seems to connect faster. But the HDMI port And being there is actually a good segue to what Apple released so maybe we start with the MacBook pros so we have a bunch of articles that we're going to pull from. Um, Maybe we'll start with the we can kind of pull from all of them the verge had a kind of. um, uh, You know everything that they updated and then MAC rumors had a summary of everything they updated and then MAC world also had a summary of everything they updated so we'll put these. Uh, links into the show notes. I, you know, I, I think we can we can pull from them. I think the the probably the yeah. best transition is that you mentioned that student who who misses that HDMI. So it was weird for a while because Apple had the Air, and then they had the Pro. Everything's moved to Apple Silicon. There's no Intel, but they had that 13-inch MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar. And it's super yep. weird that they kept it around so long. I mean, I guess they needed that price point. It's not pro at all. So what they've done now is that they there's a new lower tier, so that's gone. So now it's just MacBook Air, 13 and 15 inch, and then there's MacBook Pro 14 and 16 inch. So you get an extra yep. inch on the pros and a better display that's faster refresh, 120 Hertz and stuff like that. Um, and so the new 14-inch pro actually starts with an m3 base chip like the 13 inch had an m2 base chip now so the the pro in the 14 inch starts at a new lower price though it's more money than the 13 inch used to be is that i think i have that right
1: yeah yeah exactly but so. again i mean that's where like it it's like you were saying so i mean you had these uh, the 13 inch air And then you, I mean, they released the 15 inch last year, but then you would have that 13 inch pro. Then you would go into these like 14 or 16 or whatever. And so it really didn't, I mean, it it was almost like they wanted, like people wanted the pro name, but it it isn't a pro device. Yeah. Like I don't,
0: so if, if the MacBook air gets updated to the M3, I suppose the only disadvantage is that it doesn't have active cooling. There's no fan in it. So the pro at the base level, the M3 standard chip, so not the M3 Pro chip or the M3 Max, but the M3 base chip, might run better in the Pros just because there's a fan. That was the yeah. case at the 13-inch; it could it could sustain higher loads longer. Um, it's Canadian. I mean, we're Canadian podcasts, so it's t- twenty one hundred, so two thousand ninety nine to start now, um, which is a lower price for the 14-inch. But like, if you didn't need anything more than a MacBook Air right? It starts at eight gigs of RAM, which I think is a travesty in this day and age. I would really suggest that people always go with 16 at the minimum at this point for Windows, especially, but even the Mac. But I I guess if you want just a computer with all those ports, and you don't need the pro chip, this is a good option.
1: Yeah. But you know, again, like, see, that's the thing with like, this is really an entry level, because uh, look at with the 14 inch that we had that we got, it actually came with higher specs higher it was an m1
0: pro and we got and each of us got a i got a one terabyte hard drive you got a 512 we got the low-end pro chip like we got the bend so basically just so people know um all of these chips are made on the same wafer out of the factory and sometimes cores don't work in chips sometimes so some of them get thrown away sometimes cores aren't that are supposed to be there the number of transistors they basically the spec is actually the lowest acceptable, non-broken number of cores that come off the wafer. That's what I mean by bin. So the max chips are the perfect ones, and then they they tear them down based on the flaws. Oh, interesting. So we took the bin chips, but we had this game and the pro chips are a new level in terms of yeah. GPU and CPU cores and stuff like that. And so it did, we started with higher specs and started with 16 gigs of RAM, like you mentioned well, earlier. And-
1: yeah so that that's what I was thinking like uh, and so now what they've done is they've basically taken like that eight gigabyte to start for the the memory, and that's what you're starting off with, whereas we had sixteen. and so um, and it's know, weird um,
0: because if you go to the m three right, the regular pricing and you go to the m three like the one terabyte is twenty three forty nine Canadian. If you bump that up to sixteen gigs of RAM, you're paying twenty five ninety nine, so twenty six hundred dollars. It's not worth it. You're better off to get the M three Pro with yeah. the fourteen core GPU, eleven core CPU, and eighteen gigs of RAM with the five twelve. Than I think than than that.
1: I mean, yeah, or totally. like to
0: compare them side by side, like let's say five twelve to five twelve. That's maybe a better comparison. You're paying. For a 512 base model, 14 inch, so I'm talking an M3 chip base, 16 gigs of RAM, it's 2350 versus 27 for 18 gigs of RAM and the pro chip with the same drive space. So to me, me, they didn't get the price point as low as it should be. I understand that it's more expensive than the 13 inch models because this is a better built computer like it's a better design in a way it has the ports it also has a high refresh display it's 120 hertz yeah but an eight gig of ram computer running a 120 hertz display to me seems like a problem
1: yeah so and then again that base one it only has two thunderbolt ports whereas the the one that's a uh with the pro that one has uh oh actually i guess uh both of them have only, uh, two thunderbolts. It's until you get to the, the third one, yeah. the, the, where you, you can go up to the, uh, where it's the Mac pro where you uh, you can get three. And so that with, uh, in our case, and this was, you know, uh, up until last, uh, September, uh, that you could get the M one, uh, pro. That was just the standard that you would be able to get. And so it was, and then you would compare between the 13 inch versus this one and you get all these things right and yeah. uh, i don't know that was kind of what i looked at plus it was uh, you know you had the hdmi built right in you had all these other specs but i mean i guess now uh, you either go with the the air or you go with these pros
0: i mean they have simplified the product line which is a criticism that both you and i have had that there's too many types yeah. so i mean like i get it um, I don't think it's a bad move. I think it makes sense. I mean, I would still rather have an M3 with 16 gigs of RAM in this and have the ports than not have and not have the Pro chip than go to an Air. Like, it's just, I can't. Like, I need the HDMI. Like you said, I need the SD card. <laughs> I need those. And so it, 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 to me, it makes sense. And it doesn't make sense to have the touch bar. You know, one thing I'll say about the touch bar, I'm going to, I saw for years, at, since 2016, they released that Touch, you know, for those who don't know, a bu- Apple came out with a butterfly keyboard, which was just terrible. And then they kept, and then they had that touchscreen OLED strip that was supposed to give you quick actions and stuff. And it just never made sense. You know, it was just never a very good experience. Like I remember the first time I typed in notes, so it was giving me like, you know, auto correct suggestions and stupid stuff. It's like, well, why would I take my hands off the keyboard to go click this? It's, it's not ergonomic. They got rid of the escape key. They ended up bringing all that stuff back, bringing in a proper scissor switch keyboard, but they always kept that touch bar. And you know what I noticed? They never updated the software for that touch bar ever. They never changed from 2016 all the way to 2020. It was like the day they launched it and people complained about it for years. And then when they got rid of it, finally, just recently, because that they no longer have a model that supports it, there was all these articles coming out of the woodwork. I don't remember all the publications talking about, oh, we lament the loss of the touch bar. It seems like clickbait at this point, because it's like <laughs> these people were complaining about it for years. And for good reason. I actually liked it. I used a an application called, um, oh, I uh, I forget the name of it. What did I call it? Better touch tool, which you can use for lots of things, not just the touch bar to customize actions and I had all sorts of custom actions, you can put shortcuts in there. So I made good use of it. But like, yeah, you know, that's gone. So that makes sense. Because that was always confusing to me. Like, why are you selling this? It's the only product with the touch bar. And you're not going to update it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's just one thing that they have to support that none of the other computers have. It didn't make sense to me. So they introduced a new M3 chip. Uh, they're on the, th- they're, so they're manufactured by TSMC. They're a three nanometer process um, at this point, and they have a much better GPU performance. CPU performance yeah. seems modest improvement. Um, what were the performance gains that they said? Now during the whole presentation, they were comparing it to M1 even though they had, yeah. they have the apple has these useless graphs that have no x or y axis it doesn't make any sense um about performance and improvements over t- over time and they kept comparing it to the the m1 not the m2 i think because there's not that much of a jump
1: yeah, yeah i think uh, you were saying before we started it's like maybe a 15 20 difference between the m2 versus m3 but uh, i mean that just goes to show you a lot of people, I mean, uh, you know, you got to show a dramatic reason of why you should go from one to the other. And I mean, to be honest, I, and again, this is, uh, some of what we chatted about beforehand. I mean, having for our purposes doing regular type of office type of tasks, an M one is more than sufficient. I think we'll probably, if I was using a, 2012 Retina when they first came out for you know about ten years I used it I'm pretty sure this one will probably last several years as well for oh yeah the, there's no reason
0: for people to upgrade if they're already on Apple Silicon like zero as far as I can yeah. tell unless you're like you said like video editor or you 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 know you do graphics rendering where you're charging and you know you're you can count the dollars by the minute because the render time is what's slowing you down then you might get a computer every one or two years and that makes sense. But for us, yeah, you know it it doesn't um, it doesn't do it now that it's so the the, the new GPUs I, I think what, so what I understand from listening to the podcaster Jason Snell is that when the pro, when the M1 Pros came out, the M1 Pro was a pro chip, and then you got then there was the Max, which was even better. But the the Max is where you see the bigger difference. So the Max is like fifty percent or, you know, I think it's 65% faster in terms of graphics performance or something. The max is where you see the big leaps. The pro chip now has been almost scaled back in a sense, and it's more positioned as a mid-tier chip. Mm -hmm. Um, So Apple has, you know, adjusted its chips. So Apple said 35% faster than M1 for CPU performance. That doesn't mean much. So that means going to M3 base from M1 Pro is not going to be a 35%. There's no way. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be going exactly. from M1, you know, M1 to M3, but M3 Pro is going to be it's going to be much smaller. Um, I think it's the graphics cores that are a lot better because it this was the update that they had when Apple came out with the iPhone 15 Pro, which is what these chips are based off of. The graphics allows for, you know, ray tracing and all this stuff. And they're really trying to position the Mac as more of a gaming PC or gaming computer, casual gaming computer at the very least. And so I think there's like a huge increase in the graphics from a game playing perspective. Of course, also that the Pro supports up to 36 gigabytes of unified memory. It comes with 18 standard on the Pros instead of 16. Right. So that's an improvement you can get in the M3 Max supports up to 128 gigs of unified memory in that computer, which is just a ridiculous amount. And I think they say that M3 Max is basically 80 percent faster than the M1 Max so that at the high end, you do see a big jump in performance. But at the at the base level chips and even the pro level chips, you really don't see that kind of jump. As far as I can
1: tell. I think the the one thing with this scary fast, uh, you know, upgrade. I mean, well, uh, Apple's been kind of very discreet about like this whole uh, like what is Apple's strategy for AI, and I, I think we saw glimpses, some hints of with these chips, and they kind of talked about certain applications, like you know, looking at uh, from let's say from the the healthcare standpoint where you can go and um, maybe do some DNA or RNA sequencing to help detect early stage cancer or Mm -hmm. prevent uh, pandemics. These chips are much better positioned for those type of complex tasks. And so, uh, you know, there, the speculation everybody's kind of has written about that Apple is working on it, but they're, they're sticking, you know, Tim Cook is sticking to that line of they're, they're doing it in a responsible way. And I mean, that's, Typically their MO anyways, is that they see how everybody else is doing it. And then they come in with something better. Um, uh, they've also talked about from just a, a business standpoint, uh, given the whole um, what's happening in China, where uh, uh, you know the, the people are not going to be buying uh, iPhones and there's certain kind of uh, issues there. Um, they are not going to sell as much this year. Uh, so not only with the, the phones, but also the the computers, they're expecting a bit of a slowdown. And so they've already told investors uh, that uh, uh, there's going to be uh, not as much uh, in terms of sales this this time around uh, as compared to the past.
0: So you make a couple of really good points here. So that you're right with the AI. And I think one of the interesting things with Apple is that they have that neural engine, which is an AI dedicated piece of their silicon it's been in their mobile chips for a long time it's of course now in mac you know, the m1 pro that we have and we have the base m1 pros from 2021 are terrific neural engines right so one of the advantages is that that give apple that gives apple is that they're able to do a lot of machine learning and ai stuff on device so a lot of the serious stuff can happen on device it doesn't have to be sent up to the cloud which is of course one of the concerns i believe with large language models. It's like, where is that information going, right? So is Apple able to do a significant portion of that stuff on device using a chip that's not only tuned to their their operating system, but also has a dedicated AI neural engine in it? Um, That's the big one. The other thing I'll say too, is that I think people were a little bit different, disappointed, not across the whole board, because as I said, the Macs, uh, chips see a much larger jump in terms of performance there you're saying 50% faster so that does make it worth it, um, but it's also the efficiency like how how caching is done so they they did it, they did um, talk about this new feature on m3 specifically called this dynamic caching so the cache on a on a chip is very small like in the megabytes right. And so basically, according to the verge, it's basically m3 caching, it only allocates the exact amount of memory that's required. So if you have an application that requires at its peak performance, a certain amount of memory, what happens is that the computer typically will allocate the maximum amount of memory that that application might use. And then it's just sitting there wasted if it's not maxing out, right? Mm -hmm. So, like to avoid a lockup, basically it's allocating what a don't be premiere or whatever would need in terms of memory from a caching standpoint. I don't mean the cache on a computer because caches are a lot small, but the memory is allocated, and it's it's a bit of a waste because then you have memory allocated to applications even if you're only using them for basic level tasks. So now the memory can be allocated in a more dynamic way, meaning that it should improve even if the overall horsepower isn't dramatic. In the new M3 chips at the very least, if you're in the market for one of these, you should be able to get kind of the same, or if not better, multitasking with the same battery life, which is quite a win. Uh, I also know that, as for what I understand, the memory bandwidth was dialed back a little bit on the M3 versus the M2. So there's a little bit more on the kind of efficiency side, especially at the base level chips than the um, the performance cores, because there's the efficiency cores and the performance cores that kind of goes back and forth. So they've, they've kind of positioned, mm-hmm. I think, particularly the entry level, but maybe even the pro too. I don't know as much about the pro chip. I've read more about the max and the base level. As kind of a more, you can get the same performance with better battery life, kind of a thing, right? So because of that memory allocation, it's almost it's almost like they don't really have to dramatically increase the horsepower at this point because they found ways to get more out of what they've already developed. Yeah, and given that they're all about recycling, and that probably goes down to fabrication, you know, I mean, you know, Apple's trying to position themselves as a greener company. There's also carbon footprints involved in like retooling, I'm sure, right? So if they can get more out of their chip designs so without having to do a big overhaul and then change the production uh, strategy at the, you know, at the chip level with TSMC, then that that works to their advantage. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the the other big thing too, and this is probably where it comes from the scary fast is that uh, in certain um uh, configurations, uh, the higher MacBook Pros, uh, there is a black finish that you can get as well.
0: That's fingerprint resistant, more fingerprint resistant. So uh, it's actually not black. So it's not as dark as the MacBook Air. Dark. It's just a darker gray. Oh, interesting. So it's not as dark. It's not black. Um, But I do like it. And, you know, Apple is very good at releasing one thing on the model that you have to bump up that you have to have and it's always a color or something that I want and so same thing with the Mac the iMac which we'll talk about there's way more colors if you go from the base model to something slightly better and so they're really good about that um but yeah I do like the new color a lot I was a big fan I don't know you remember the uh the white plastic MacBooks from years ago I always loved yeah. the black one it was a beautiful device.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And
0: I will say, I really like the midnight uh, MacBook Air. That's a really nice color. I know it's a fingerprint magnet, which is the reason I would have to avoid it because that would, as an OCD borderline person, that would drive me crazy. But yeah. this seems like a good balance. It's not quite as dark as that, but you know, it's a uh, it's a step up. Now, I have a question for you. If we were going to recommend a pr- a couple of the pros, we're going to talk about the iMac in a bit. Um, what's our rec- Do we have a recommendation for people in terms of the best bang for your buck in terms of the model? I mean, like we know that people are at different price points. Can we recommend a couple of different configurations?
1: I mean, I... <sighs> I think it it just comes down to people's budgets and what they need. But I, I think the recommendation that I would make, and it's uh, it's what we always tell people, I think for the memory, you should probably have uh, 16 gigabytes. So, you know. And in this case it's that. 18 that it goes up to. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, if it, and then compare like how you were talking about like price point wise, if you go and upgrade it to the 16 on that base level and then, you know, if it's not much different and then you get 18 as a, as opposed to 16, you may want to go for that mid tier starting point there. And I believe then the, that black color is available as well. In that so ca- in Canadian,
0: if you want to get the pro base level, which is what I would recommend as a configuration, if you're going to spend the money to get. If you if you just need a computer to browse the web and do web processing, and you're not interested in the ports and you don't care about the high refresh display, my recommendation would be to wait until the MacBook Air comes with a base M3 and get the better amount of memory and just go with that personally. But yeah. if you want a pro computer, so you need something that has a little bit more horsepower, and so it's not just ports you're after, You could go with the base model and bump up the RAM. What I would recommend people do so, Canadian, it's about $2,700, which is not cheap. I totally get that for the M3 Pro. So that's 11 core CPU, 14 core GPU. It comes with 18 gigs of RAM instead of 16. So you get even more RAM than bumping up the base. So, and then 512 gigs of storage for SSD, I think is plenty for most people. You could go to a terabyte if you wanted, um, but that adds. you know, another two hundred and fifty bucks, and you're looking at almost three thousand. So but what I would suggest people do is I'm pretty sure that almost anyone can order these computers on education pricing without really having to prove it. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that they really care. You, the, the, the only difference is that you're limited to how many things you can buy in a year on education pricing. now if if I'm wrong about that, one of our listeners, please correct me. But if you did that, for instance, and you get it on education pricing. That base level M3 Pro now goes to twenty four ninety nine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, you saved what two hundred bucks? Yeah. And then you and then you can get your. And I believe the upgrades are the upgrades the same price. The upgrades are cheaper too. So then if you go to a, a terabyte SSD, it's two twenty five instead of two fifty. So then you can get twenty seven hundred dollars and twenty four. You can get. For basically the same price, you can get the pro with a one terabyte drive, you get a free one terabyte drive. If you do that.
1: Well, I guess people do what you have to do. We're, we're lifelong learners. So if if you can go and use the education discount.
0: Yeah. You just have to say you're using it for education. Yeah. Um, With that, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about with the pros? Any other tidbits in our notes or? Other things
1: I think we've got it covered with I mean, basically 13 inch gone for pro touch bar. bar.
0: Oh, well, so sad. (laughs) Okay, well, then I guess the next update that we'll talk about is the iMac. I was super excited to see the iMac updated. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that the iMac I mean, there's not much to say in terms of the chip because the iMac is basically only has the m3 base chip it doesn't even come you can't even get it with an m3 pro which i find odd that that's not an option um but that being said and it's not and they don't have a 27 inch imac they just have the 24 inch and a 24 inch display is fine personally i don't think it's a big deal i think that's more than enough uh studies show that over 24 inches you have to actually turn your head more to see the whole display so they say 24 inches is the sweet spot from being able to see the whole screen in your field of view uh, yeah. pro pro gamers always run games at 1080p on 24 inch monitors uh because the higher performance and it's you don't have to look turn your head and you lose split seconds if you're playing a competitive game you
1: know i can see that because i i have a 27 inch uh uh you know cinema display and uh yeah i mean i have to look around sometimes especially when you're doing like the split screens and stuff so Yeah, I
0: have a 28 inch 4K Acer display, which is a terrific, beautiful HDR display, but it is big now, but I'm not, you know, playing games on it, but the iMac is uh, M3. So you get the base M3 starts at 1620. No, starts more than that. Where does it start at? I don't have the pricing up in front of me. I will just take a look. This is in Canadian dollars, of course. So it starts at 1700 bucks and goes up from there. What did you think about this update? Anything in particular that you'd want to point out?
1: I mean, I, I'm even thinking like, you know, I got my new uh, laptop. Uh, I think maybe a, an iMac might be my next one. It's either that or I might go and get like a Mac mini if they ever update that. They will. I think that'll come you know. soon. Yeah. So, but I especially if you you have to keep in mind like you know when you have that high res all in one everything kind of uh, in one unit uh, it's kind of nice it's all you know configured and uh, it looks and uh, having that variety of colors and and so on it's uh, it's a nice would you thing get of, silver or
0: would you get a color
1: I think I'd pick a color. I'm not sure which color though. I should look at those. I haven't looked at the the new colors. I think blue uh, and
0: green are the most better for resale. I don't know who's going to buy an orange or a yellow computer personally, but
1: yeah.
0: Pink. Um, I think the iMac is terrific. My mom, uh, she had a 2013 Intel iMac with eight gigs of RAM, 5,400 RPM spinning drive. She had it for almost 10 years. It's a terrific computer. Um, as a 1080p display, actually, it wasn't even a retina at that time. And I, uh, w- shortly after the M1 was released, she's had it for a while now. I got her an M1 iMac and it has been awesome. I have to say it has been a great lap, uh, desktop computer for her. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're a terrific device. Like if you need a computer for the office and you're just doing word processing and productivity, you can hook a second display up to it. Um, but they are really really nice really nice devices
1: so yeah you know I, I think I might get um, I'm just looking at the colors I think I would go maybe purple purple's nice I like the purple I agree with you because uh, I don't that orange is a little bit too much I don't know about you the, like the green
0: the green what about the green but the, the green
1: blue? you can get that in the base so if I'm gonna if I'm spending the extra bit of money I think oh, I would want to differentiate myself so I think the purple I
0: do like the purple a lot. I agree with you a lot. And then if I were you, I mean, this is just my free advice. Uh, Get the 24 gigs of RAM.
2: Hmm. But you have to pay another 450 bucks. But I think it's
0: worth it. because it's a desktop, right? So the power consumption is no issue. And then you could get a, a one terabyte SSD if you needed it. You're up to then in education pricing, you're up to about 2,700 bucks. But I think it's worth it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Nice computer. So they did a couple of updates. Nice chips. Apple's done a great job with Apple Silicon, I think, personally. And um, yeah. So that's where we're at with the Apple update. Now, you wanted to talk about AI ethics and some of the stuff that happened in the States recently, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um... I mean, it's uh, something that uh, the Biden administration right now, so they've taken some steps uh, to go uh, around all these issues surrounding artificial intelligence. And so he's issued out an executive order on the safe, secure, and trustworthy development of uh, the use of uh, artificial intelligence. And so it's rooted in uh, developments aligned with uh, Safety, security, trust, you know, they're they're talking about the American values and uh, the order is going to implore that the federal agencies, they go and draft regulations and standards to govern the use and development of AI, uh, particularly in areas that could significantly impact civil rights and liberties. So uh, there are certain measures that uh, they're looking at in terms of invoking a defense production act. Uh, So uh, just, and that would mandate uh, companies would have to inform the federal government about AI models that could pose serious risks to the national security or public health. Uh, So it it also outlines the establishment of an AI safety and security board that would be tasked with uh, advising on AI application in critical infrastructure. Uh, They're looking at uh, tackling the risks with uh, of AI producing or combating chemical, biological, radioactive, or nuclear weapons uh, through the use of uh, synthetic uh, nucleic acids in genetic engineering. Um, They're looking at uh, setting up screening and monitoring frameworks for the procurement of these assets um, and ensure that the adherence to the providers. There is a, a emphasis on American citizen privacy, uh, recognizing the, the limitations of the absence of a federal data privacy law. So they're urging Congress to pass such legislation to fortify uh, these type of protections. Uh, especially if you think about uh, you know they're highlighting uh, the need for strategies to detect AI generated deep fake content, uh, acknowledging the technological challenges that distinguish them from human created content. So uh, overall, this this order, it's the significant move uh, that's considered the um, you know the first in u s. history concerning AI regulation it's not an all-encompassing solution but uh, uh, the previous administrations uh, notably the uh, if you look at trump's uh, administration they have issued ai related orders but the executive orders uh, you know now you're there these ones uh, this one is coming at a time where uh the rapidly advancing generative ai it necessitates greater scrutiny and so the legislative efforts um, that are needed to solidify some this type of framework uh, by the executive branch, uh, getting some of that bipartisan support, international collaboration. Uh, so right now, uh, the EU, China, the G7—they're all actively creating regulatory measures for AI.
0: So what is and, it? What, uh, what from a company standpoint? What is it actually? So like, what does it require them to do?
1: Well, apparently from what I read, a bunch of companies have already, they voluntarily have, uh, uh, you know, disclosed certain information to um, uh, the government. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, they're basically trying to, I guess, uh, from my understanding of this, uh, uh, this executive order is designed to foster innovation while they're trying to safeguard ethical standards. Okay. so um, you know it's uh it's not just about regulation uh, there's a bit of uh, aspiration as well so they want to go and make sure that it provides human rights democratic principles uh but i i don't know i mean the real question if you look at it will this actually translate uh into the daily grind of tech development uh you know we look at uh, something like GDPR that regulation it can be a double edged sword you know it's it's protective but then it's also potentially stifling to these tech companies and the tech de- development
0: Yeah i agree i'm just thinking about how how is this going to work um from like a uh just an enforcement perspective, like, how are they going to even do this?
1: Well, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's still, um, you know, in terms of they have these goals, there are certain implications. I, I think these ethical considerations that they're having in terms of what the, the framework that they're proposing there, uh, I see the future foresight, uh, that long-term impact on, you know, sectors like education privacy national security employment Uh, but uh, you know again it's uh, how do you navigate these issues when you're doing product updates I mean we just talked about Apple going and releasing uh, a whole bunch of their products and how does that impact them uh, in terms of their updates and their innovations
0: yeah I mean I think it's a terrific question I have no idea I wonder too like if it's going to be well i mean i i think it's timely because of what open ai you said recently did and i wasn't aware of this you're the one who alerted me to it so what are, are there you know when i first saw this executive order i was thinking okay like how is this really going to work but then i saw what <laughs> open ai was caught saying uh and that kind of prompted me to think a little bit more about this
1: yeah. Well, and it's funny cuz like if you look at it like you know that OpenAI's latest decision, they're essentially they're pulling the rug out from under startups using its technology. And so this is where we're reminded of that harsh reality that uh, the tech world is not just about innovation, it's also about competition and sometimes right. this competition it can feel like David versus Goliath, uh, minus the, I guess the slingshot. But uh, OpenAI's move to integrate PDF processing into ChatGPT Plus might seem like a natural progression, but for startups that relied on OpenAI's APIs to offer similar services, it's a game changer and not in a good way. It brings to mind, uh, you know, a, a principle that you know that we. Kind of think about it but they're having like fair play in business and so uh, as businesses especially big ones they do have a responsibility uh, to the community that they help build so shouldn't big tech be the playground bully or should they be almost like a mentor trying to help uh, others find their way and i i don't know i mean it's a, uh, who would have thought that these companies and it's it's not just i mean open ai this is one that um, you know this is where we see like direct application but it's happened in the past i mean look at, we've talked about in um, for example freeform right, right. so apple released a, an app called freeform and which is that, great
0: by the way it's a really yeah, good
1: yeah, so it's a great app, but now what has Apple essentially done? It's uh, taken on all of those whiteboarding apps that are out there. Yeah, so and, explain uh,
0: everything, which was the first, and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I have sure. I don't know, like, what?
0: Yeah, like We've, what's, what? should I explain what that means again for people? <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Okay, so for <laughs> a year, I, I'm sorry. I, it, it's a good thing for people to know. So it, it's not Apple that just Apple that does this. So when it so years and years and years ago when the Mac. I think it was maybe even before OS 10, which is basically well, we have OS 11 now, but OS 10 was around for 20 years. Um, there was a great search application uh, called Sherlock, which was kind of like the precursor to Spotlight on the Mac for search. And then I think Apple released Spotlight, and then basically Sherlock went under. So we always say that they were Sherlocked because. they've basically incorporated a feature that's default that a third party was was offering and this is very common right so they they put a base feature into to mac os that other companies have pioneered and make money off of and then no one buys them anymore because it's built in so like I used obsidian for notes because I liked interlinking of notes while apple notes does that So i don't use it now now that being said i prefer apple notes for a variety of reasons just the design and it integrates with everything very easily and it looks better on mobile but when they incorporate a base feature like that it has implications right
1: yeah no for sure and and again like this is where like this uh this move by open ai i mean it's it's sending ripples right now through the startup ecosystem because you know, these uh, these startups, they're using open AIs, APIs. I mean, many people don't realize, like, even the AI writers that are out there, <laughs> many of them are using chat GPT API to go and power sure. them. Well, I was going to ask, so, I've been
0: trying to figure out which, because gra- Grammarly paid also allows, does this writing assistant. And I'm, you know, I went do they have their own or are they using open
1: AIs? Well, well the, I have no idea. I, I believe they're using uh, open AI. So, like, what happens when... Right open ai uh, decides okay well we're going to take on grammarly that could happen right and so this is again it's that uh, it's a harsh reminder of the the power dynamics right i mean on one uh, aspect you're you're looking to foster innovation and create this ecosystem of all these uh, you know companies using your technology it's almost like uh what apple created in terms of its apple store right and uh, now it's uh, uh, with uh, open ai they were creating this, this uh, ability to create plugins and having API's uh, that would use their large language model to power their applications. But now yeah. it's, it's literally, it's just uh, you're stifling entrepreneurship. And I, it, it's the same problem know, with
0: to- browsers, like br- browsers, for instance, like Chrome dominates browser market share. Yeah. Uh, but how many browsers are based on Chrome? So edge, which I was very excited that Microsoft was getting, years and years ago, was getting away from Internet Explorer. They're developing their, they had their own rendering engine. Well, they relaunched Edge to basically be a Chromium-based browser. Brave became a Chromium-based browser. So they all use the Chrome base and have their own sauce on top of it. But that means they're all dependent on on Chrome. And, And Chrome is no longer based, it used to be. It's no longer based on WebKit, which Apple developed, but is an open source platform. Very few people know this now or remember this, but WebKit, which Apple invented, they put in the open source. Safari is basically it has some proprietary features but it's an open source project this is the reason i don't use chrome not because chrome is bad well it's terrible for spying on you i use brave for work because i need the plugins to work properly because we're a google school but i don't like google tracking me but that's why for everything else i switch between firefox and safari because i don't like the idea that all browsers even though that they all have a different interface they're all based on the same engine it's like in the watch world uh this is you know all watches use these ETA swiss movements and it's like well what if there's a flaw in that movement and then it's rolled out to 150 different types of watches right like i mean that's never happened and it's a little bit different but there is a problem when you have a technology an underlying technology that all the competition relies on it's not really competition then Because then then if there's something goes haywire or there's a bug, or if there's a flaw in that model, we see problems. I mean, you see this in hardware. I mean, remember the the Intel chips, the Heartbleed, they all had to be patched because of this hardware flaw, the security flaw, and the patch reduced performance on all of the chips that were running. And that was in thousands and thousands of different types of computers, right? So it's a problem when you have hegemony of a, ter- a certain technology, yeah, it's yeah, a huge absolutely. risk. It's 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 a huge well, risk, and they're not going to, and it's not going to get as good. Like I, I hope Apple doesn't use OpenAI, and they have their own thing. I'm, Google Bard is not very good right now, but they're using their own model, which is good. I, I you know I'm more, Microsoft made the right first move, but I'm a little bit concerned because, uh, they better hope that OpenAI keeps it together because they don't have their own proprietary model to work on. I mean yeah. they basically own them at this point. I mean not really but almost what do they own 49%? Yeah, yeah exactly. So so
1: and they've gone all in, right? I mean uh, in terms I'm good of for that them. so but uh, yeah, I mean this uh, uh, at the end of it like I uh, I think there has to be some balance that needs to be struck between protecting intellectual property and then nurturing that innovative spirit that drives this tech industry forward and i mean i who knows right now like i i push uh or i'm an advocate for going and using and i mean we have to go and change with the times uh but uh i i sometimes wonder like i mean i look at uh, maybe this technology might not even work i mean i i can't remember if we talked about this last uh, episode but you know co-pilot was it's been released for a while now on um, uh, Microsoft's GitHub, so right that, know, that, That's our...
0: GitHub copilot. yeah. the code yeah, so the helper.:
1: Exactly. And uh, this past year, so they've generated a 100 million dollars in revenue. Now that would sound really impressive. 100 million dollars, right? I mean, that's literally maybe uh, uh, a new unicorn just from that one product line, but it's, it's not profitable. So at what point, at how much money do you need to generate to go and be profitable? And they're all in putting this, uh, you know, co-pilot, which is based off of uh, open AI, chat GPT type of technology throughout its entire Microsoft ecosystem. But it's not making money. I mean, even we've talked about this before, yeah. Eric. Like you 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 know, we've talked about uh that uh that pricing of thirty dollars that they came up with. So well does GitHub ex- what does
0: GitHub Copilot cost?
1: I uh, I believe it's around that price as is well. It the same? But, um, let's see. I, I just uh, but,
0: wonder if it's if it's the same price. Like is it because okay, nineteen dollars per user per month US? I guess my question is is that is it is it not profitable because and I mean, I know I I agree with you. Like I'm equally critical of this business model because Microsoft has poured billions of dollars into this. And as far as I understand it, the Bing search browser has gained zero market share. Um, it's not like people stopped using Google to do chat GPT-based Bing searches, right? Because Bing is such a terrible brand. Um, but $19 a month per user, but that's only for developers, right? So I mean, is the idea that when you roll it out to general knowledge workers who use the office suite, which is basically everybody, it would become more profitable because you're going after a larger pie. Maybe.
1: I mean, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think like, look, we talked about this before, but we haven't talked about it specifically in terms of like, how did Microsoft come up with that pricing? Like a lot of people, they, uh, you know, pricing is not an exact science. I mean, it's at the tough. end of it, it it's hard. It, it, it's, uh, you know what you think that the market could bear, but I think this is what happened at Microsoft. They're like, okay, we're charging for our Office 365 or Microsoft, whatever the the, the suite, and uh, we're charging people whatever. Let's say it's twenty or thirty dollars a month. Now to have Copilot on top, what could we charge people where they're already paying a fee? And I think they just picked a number out of the air and it was like, let's do thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. I mean, people are spending, you know, five, six, seven dollars a day on coffees. You know, now it's a dollar per day per person. And we've talked about that part, but I think that literally might've been the conversation. Okay, let's go charge a dollar per day for 30 days, $30 per person. How much more productivity do you get out of somebody by doing that? And, but- if you start running the numbers for, you know, the electricity, the water consumption to keep these cool uh, servers cool down, all the staff, all this overhead, is it going to be enough to go and, you know, offset and actually become profitable? And who knows? That's the question for me, and the the one I've been asking. So,
0: when does this become profitable? I suspect it probably will be, um, but you raise a very fair point. And, it, you know, it depends to, like I said, which, um, which aspect of the market they intend to go after, right? Um, you know, to me, like, if
2: as far as I can tell,
0: you know, Google Docs dominates just because it's simple ease of use. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, office is so much better and i i I, it's not so much just the word processing it's things like excel and as far as i understand you know using um office in the browser has most of the features that the desktop versions and i think the live collaboration is basically identical and so to me it's it's an office is the standard i mean they use google docs you know like all the universities that are google schools still offer Microsoft Office to their students, it's not a replacement. And so to me, if they can, if they can launch $30 per user per month in enterprise to start, um, that has to be a larger market segment than, you know, web developers. I mean, it has to be because everybody uses those tools, right? And so the, the, the question too that I have is that It seems like it's difficult to explain to the average user. Like right now, you either pay the $30 per month to get the AI co-pilot features, and it's not in the base Office 365 yet, or you don't. But are they going to be able to, say, introduce some AI features at a lower price, like ChatGPT 3.5, which is free versus four? Yeah, And and the question I have is that how do you explain what it can do to people you know what i mean like in a car or a phone it's like how much ram is there you know what is the engine block size how much horsepower how much range do you get if it's an ev but it's not clear to me how you explain mini ai versus full featured ai to someone like i i, I don't know how you would do it
1: well i mean look at uh, it's funny right before this episode uh, we just did an experiment. We took one of the articles and threw it into GPT 4 There was too much text for it to actually do a summary of that article. And I didn't know this.
0: So chat GPT four, just to, for clarity for everyone listening that does um, l- even though that's more advanced and I pay for that, that does less text than 3.5. Yeah. And really. uh, do you know what so, the maximum are the text amounts?
1: Well, uh, I, I think part of it is to, it's, it goes to your point about like, how do you go and, you know, let's say if it was a vehicle, like how do you compare horsepower or whatever, right? But because it's a more sophisticated and the latest language model, it comes up with higher quality responses. And so when you feed more text into it, it takes more to go and come right. up with, you know, that higher quality response. And so then, and I, I don't, I mean, I, I use the paid version, like the paid subscription version of the 3.5, which you do have more access to. So then I just switched it to 3.5. I took that same article and it was able to summarize it. Right. And it probably isn't as high quality as the, the four would have been, but at least you could pump in all that text into it. Right. And so in some respects, I mean, I, it's, it's funny, like one of my buddies is like, I. I don't see the value of going to the, the, uh, you know, the chat GPT plus, uh, but I mean, now I think there are some things that, uh, like, for example, we have access, uh, to DALI, right? right. You have access to, uh, the, you know, uh, Is that now rolled internet. out yet? Uh, I believe it is rolled out. I'm not sure if it's rolled out for like the free account, but it's uh, but like for, for sure, my, like, my
0: chat GPT four, can I go do images with it? Like, how do I do that? Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you just go into, uh, if you go at the, so when I'm you starting first a new start chat. up a chat, okay. right? You go to GPT four and then you know how there's that drop down. So oh, you right. have the ability now it's built right into it as beta. You can browse with Bing that advanced data analysis. That's what code interpreter used to be. I don't yeah. have, I have three point.
0: Okay. So if I go to chat GPT four and then you click on the button again, and then there's a drop down and I have default browse with Bing and DALI.
1: Um, Maybe you have to enable it then under plugins. Do you have plugins? See,
0: this is why I need you to help me because <laughs> I don't understand. Okay. Oh, plugins. I don't even have that done. Advanced data analysis. So do I want those on?
1: Yes. Yeah. So the advanced hmm. data analysis. Oh, that that's does what code. code- that's what code interpreter was. Is uh, there anything else I need before. and data
0: controls or just leave that?
1: Uh, let's see where chat history and training I have on.
0: Cause uh, I have that so stuff. You have the customer,
1: uh, you have the custom instructions on.
0: I do. And I have a bunch that I've included. I may tweak them, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. now, oh, yeah, now I see beta... now I do, now I can do plugins, advanced data analysis. So will the advanced data analysis do like correlation, like
1: statistics. Well, that, that's, so in the past, that's what the code interpreter was. So yeah, you can throw in. Eric, you could throw in spreadsheets and it'll do analysis on it. Uh, you could throw in code and it'll go and, you know, debug the code. It can even create websites and stuff uh, where it'll give you all the text, uh, the HTML, CSS and everything. Right. So uh, there's a number of applications uh, and I would encourage you to just play around and experiment. Actually, another thing that's kind of nice now, too, is that I haven't um, seen
0: the plugins. This is crazy. Great
1: yeah yeah so again like there's there's a bunch of different plugins that you could try uh you can enable those and Scholar and, ai huh? right so uh and this is where like you know you have this ability that's why like it's it's kind of funny right like you look at uh, this ecosystem that OpenAI was creating and that that's what this uh, this could have been the next gold rush is having this all these plugins and stuff but it feels like they're basically getting a bunch of startups to go and use their technology and then they're just going to steal it. <laughs> so I, Interesting. I don't know what's, what's going to happen with this. Um,
2: I find this to be amazing. Yeah, So this is like the next Chrome plugin. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah, pretty much.
0: Maybe. Is there any plugins you would recommend?
1: I mean, I haven't really played around too much with the plugins. I, I tried some of them. I think I just stick to the what open AI has, to be honest.
0: Oh, and it has Wolfram Alpha as a plugin too. Oh.
1: Oh so,
0: this is very exciting. Okay. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, so order. if I go to Dolly, okay, so I can go and
1: then, then I can just put in a
0: prompt
1: that I normally would yeah yeah exactly and you you know how you were creating backgrounds for your twitter and stuff like that you could do it in here now okay and uh, it'll generate those so
0: and what is um can you can put in image dimensions for this too right
1: you can but i i guess i i don't know i uh, i haven't played around as much as you have in terms of uh, you mentioned that it sometimes just distorts. It feels like they like to create just square images. <laughs> it's like the, the default, maybe it's like an Instagram culture or something, but um, and you can always crop them afterwards too. So, but, you know, I, I think one of the things like I, uh, you know, I was telling you about like here, I, I was thinking kind of just from a, like a philosophical standpoint uh you know um even in terms of all these uh, generative ai tools and uh, i mean we chatted a little bit before we started on this but uh, you know I, I i feel like sometimes i i wonder i mean i'm i'm telling people to go and try it out and experiment and look at uh, you know the it's like what um uh back in the day, you look at like Benjamin Franklin, he said that there's uh, basically two certainties in life, uh, which is death and taxes. Uh, The (laughs) Third is that there's, there's a change. And if you don't change with the times, you're going to be, I mean, imagine right now, like we talked about this before, where 75% of businesses are banning this type of technology. And so the other you know it actually presents opportunities for these startups or people who are using it, so you're literally you're going to be replaced by people, not by AI but by people who are using AI tools. I think that's true. I mean, and so the, right. but then sometimes like I what I've been thinking about lately is just like the ethical side of things. It's like you know this technology, it was developed by using either you know low wage or using intellectual property that was not. Uh, you know properly uh, authorized to be accessed to develop these large language models and you know uh, i don't know if there needs to be some discussion or uh, on you know the due diligence of that or the ethical choices and how do we utilize this and especially in the academic uh, environment Um, you know some of the things that you mentioned earlier especially on the image side Mm -hmm. it maybe is more prevalent um where it could be um you know based off of existing work be taken advantage of all these artists well yeah i mean
0: i mean i'm not a copyright expert but what i understand is that you know it's it's one thing if you use something for private study that's where you know fair dealing and fair use comes in in Canada and the United States in terms of copyright law. Like if you're using it for educational purposes or private study, it can fall under. Um, in Canada, fair dealing in the United States, fair use. It, the, the issue comes in when you take a work and then you take it as is or with slight changes. And you know what percentage you should be allowed to change and redistribute. But it's the redistribution to make money is the problem, right? And so yeah. when it comes to text. I don't know how the models are developed. I mean, I like you said, is it all Stephen King's books loaded in to train on this? And then it, it, but like it's it's a, it's harder for me with the text side because so here's a thought experiment. Let's say you just used all the information on the internet that was public to develop a large language model for AI, right? and then you have a large language model trained on all that stuff. It's predominantly, you know, western and eurocentric. I'm not saying, but like that's that's all the web information, right? Yeah. And then you create a separate large language model that includes a bunch of stuff that's not public on the web, and it's like, you know, all the Harry Potter books and all the stuff Stephen King has written because these are authors that are upset, right? Yeah. My question in this language in this thought experiment is how different is the large language model like between each other? when you look at the corpus of knowledge that's public that could potentially be uploaded and used to train a large language model and then you add in all of the non-public stuff does it get i don't first of all you know does it get twice as good does it get 1% better so it's hard for me to measure the output of their proprietary or copyrighted knowledge that's not public Um, and what the contribution is to the large language model. So I'm not saying it isn't, I just don't know. On the image side, to me, it's a little bit more clear cut because it's taking people's works and then actually remashing them, remixing them and regenerating. Now, as I understand it, the images that are generated by AI at this point, the best practice is that they're considered public domain. So if you generate an image by AI, yeah, you can go make a t-shirt and sell it with that, but it's a public domain image. So if it's using proprietary stuff to develop new stuff, the new stuff is at least being put in the public domain. It's not being it's not like owned by Bing, or Dolly, right, as I understand mm-hmm. it. But again, I see your point And it's hard for me to say uh, what is right here. I mean, at the same time, it's
2: I I just I don't know.
0: I don't don't have two large language models to compare against. I guess that's what I would need to see.
1: Well, and I I think part of like, you know, I look at it even one thing that you mentioned, too, like you talked about, like the Western side of things. And so, you know, uh, even that in itself, if if we're going and I mean, what about other cultural viewpoints and, uh, you know, if uh, you start thinking about uh, inclusivity and equity and how does that come into play i mean i've even read articles as of late uh, recently like uh, you know you talk about the um, uh the correctness of this uh these large language models apparently um the chat gpt side of things it's actually not as good on math now as compared to previous models so i i don't know if that black box that they're developing maybe us feeding stuff into it is actually making the output dumber. yeah maybe
0: um i mean again i think it's possible that the people who developed this don't know totally how it works
1: well i and in fact i think that is the case they don't know how it's happening cuz if you recall there was that one um, i think it was uh, 60 minutes where uh, they did a exposé on google uh, and uh, you know it's somehow the their bard was starting to learn other languages that it wasn't programmed for and so you know they couldn't explain it and so uh, yeah i don't know it's interesting times for sure
2: yeah it's uh i don't know it's a tough one i remember i don't remember if you remember this um Uh there was uh an article
0: that was written. Um oh, I don't know if I have the original. This is an older piece. This is so I found a version from the New York Post. Take it as it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh as a source. I mean New York Post has some good stuff. Um there was like two bots, I think it was Facebook that developed two bots and uh, they were talking to each other and they started okay. talking to each other in a language that nobody understood. And then they locked everybody out.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Uh, creepy Facebook bot talks to each other in secret language. And so my point is, is that they learn from each other. Um, according to the next web, researchers also discovered that the bots relied on advanced learning strategies to improve the negotiating skills, going far as to pretend uh, like an item, in order to sacrifice it for a later time is sort of a faux compromise. Like it's weird. We're not talking singularity level beginnings, but that's a, they said it was a huge leap forward for AI. This was in 2017. Um, my understanding is that they had to shut this down because they were just um, they were able to communicate with a, any human input, and then like they locked the people out.
2: <laughs> and so. My
0: point is, is that, again, I understand the concern about AI and what it'll become, right? Because there's, many, there's already examples of,
2: of, of this, where, we, where we're losing control. Yeah. I don't
1: well, know what else you I mean, can add to that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just something that I've been thinking about as of late. Um, I mean uh, there's probably a bunch of little topics like that uh, I mean even like is this going to actually the our reliance on these type of tools is it going to de-skill people you know uh should we be looking at other I, I I've been kind of looking at it and using these tools uh to kind of create more experiential learning and you know tailoring the experience that way but um, um I don't know, I mean there there's a lot of uncertainty, and then who knows i mean if uh, if they can't actually make it economically feasible, maybe it's all moot and we'll go into like a an AI winter or something. <laughs> so
0: well, I don't know about that. I mean, like ultimately, you can just like unplug the server and the stuff all shuts down, right i mean i, I think it's uh, yeah, but i i get I get the point like where where does this stuff lead? and I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Yeah. I don't know what the executive order is going to do. I am I'm somewhat skeptical that that's possible. But that being said, uh, we'll see, we'll see yeah. what happens. So with that, um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Before we get go? No, I, I don't think
1: so. I think I think you had one tip. Um, so if you want to kind of touch on that, and we can yeah. end on a high note. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, so um I'll give a bit of a background so I uh I commute on to work on public transit I mean so I either ride my bicycle uh and it's actually starting to warm up here so I actually may bike into work next week Uh, I like that a lot I love the exercise but I you know I go for a nice walk in the morning it's about a 10 minute walk to the bus stop if I really want to push it I get up early I can go for an hour walk to Glenmore Landing and I can take the bus to the university from there um but because i'm on the bus i either can do two things i can uh, either listen to podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that or i can read i don't find i get cars i can't get carsick i find i don't get carsick on on the bus too bad especially if i'm not sitting in the back so then I, I i wanted to start reading on the bus because i'm a big reader i'm a librarian not a surprise but i'd like to read more than i have been but the problem i've run into is twofold one uh books are heavy and i'm taking my lunch bag to work and i have a backpack and you know a hardcover book it's just another thing that's really heavy and yeah. um a lot of times when i'm on when i'm reading i actually read a lot of nonfiction, and because i take courses currently through bcit and i do a lot of learning i like to be able to highlight books and underline or make notes and it's very difficult okay. to do that while in a moving vehicle so yeah. i years and years ago i had a kobo e reader i've never had a kindle because i the kobos don't interact with the um whether they don't allow us to take up public library books i think you can do it in the states but not in canada so i wanted something i could get public library books and i wanted to be able to buy books and i find the kobo store to be more or less equivalent, maybe the prices are slightly more expensive, it's kind of hit or miss, right? So I had this Kobo, I got a Kobo a little while ago, this is not the tip. I got the uh, um, the Kobo Clara 2 E. It's a terrific little e reader as like a magnetic slip sleep weight cover. And I I started reading e reading again. Uh, because I wanted to be able to highlight things easily. So you can push and hold on the screen and you can highlight the books. And one of the things I like about having the highlights, and I, you know, I highlight, I still have Kindle books. I read them on the iPad. I don't use a Kindle e-reader. I highlight all sorts of stuff. I highlight things in Pocket, I highlight tweets, I bookmark them. And I was always thinking, oh, it would be nice to be able to incorporate all these highlights into one place. And so I was, I was reading, I was listening to some other podcasts and um, it was actually Ryan Holiday talked about, uh, he uses a lot of paper books, but he says he uses a a service called Readwise. And um, it basically allows you to connect a bunch of services. It's, It's, there's a free trial and then it's paid. So it's not a free tool. Um, and it allows you to connect a bunch of services and it kind of ties together all your book highlights. And so it's pretty cool. So like, the you can add notes and you can search. So there's an app. Um, but it's, it's neat because I can go in here and I'm just in my desktop app and I've been reading Seth Godin's The Practice, which is a terrific book. About shipping creative work and I have 66 highlights and I can go through. And I can uh, look at all the highlights, and so from a research perspective, um, it's just really, really neat because you can just sync things, and then they just show up in this service, um, and then they're all there from all the services. So if you're like me, like I'm gonna try to stick to Kobo, uh, I'm not probably gonna buy any more Kindle books unless they're Kindle only or something like that. Um, but I'm gonna, you know, sync all my highlights to this, and then I'm gonna pull them in. You can delete highlights that you're like, ah. Eh. I mean, my highlights still show up in my um, Kobo account, right? But like they show up here kind of all in one place. So it's kind of a really cool service. Um, yeah, just really impressed with it so far. I I do think the user interface could use some work, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it's a really cool service, and I have really enjoyed it. And it's just kind of an all-in-one place where you can put book highlights. And it kind of made... The whole e reading experience a little bit nicer for me because I like to be able to push and drag just to highlight something and then return to it later. So that's well, my tip was the cost. Um, let me just log out so I can see.
2: The pricing. Read Rise also has a reader app which costs extra. Uh, let's see here. Readwise pricing.
0: I didn't have it on hand. It's not easy to find. So it's four ninety five not... a month for the light, which is what
1: I have. Yeah, and then I guess the pro is seven ninety
0: nine. Yeah, and the pro gives you like organized highlights with tags and notes. And I, you know, maybe I'll go to that. I just went to the light. I mean, if you do it annually, you save money. Um, yeah. so I, I, paid for that and we'll see, I haven't needed to organize it yet. So kind of a cool kind of, cool, kind of a cool app. Uh, if you're an e-reader that I've been using and it's quite fun. So with that, that's probably a wrap for today. Yep, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, it's a pleasure to chat with you as always. And I guess we will, we will ride again soon.
1: That sounds good. Okay. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks.